6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Psalms, chapters 1 and 2. And in the way of the sinners, what does sin mean? Well, sin means to miss the mark, right? See, they don't live quite as they should. Proverbs says twice, at least, in it, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There is a way that seemeth right. This is value relativism. This is the very basic ethic inculcated in our society. Scripture says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and so forth. And then the seed of the scornful. What are scorners? Well, they're atheists. And they're in denial. They are willingly ignorant. They're even blind towards intelligent design, which they ascribe to randomness. I recently was reminded of a publication I encountered when I was in a think tank known as the Rand Corporation back in the 60s, early 60s. They had just published a few years before a book that if you saw sitting on my desk, you might laugh. The book is called One Million Random Digits with 100,000 normal deviates. And you open this book, and it's full of just numbers. Random numbers. Now, to the naive person, you say, that's pretty stupid. Just random numbers. They published it. They became famous for that book. Because if you are a practitioner in laboratories, in science, you often have a need for what's called Monte Carlo methods and other things, where you need a source of random numbers. It turns out, truly random numbers are very difficult to come by. You can get pseudo-random numbers, numbers that are almost random, but Rand did a service because of their expertise in the computer industry in those days. They published one million random numbers in a book, and what made them distinctive is that they were tested and tested and tested on computers to be sure there was no patterns, no repeatings, no symmetry, no patterns. And the reason I bring this up, it came to mind the other day, and that's why I got myself a copy of it. I forgot to left it on my desk, but that's okay. Um, what it dramatizes, something that was understood in those days, is that randomness is defined as the absence of design. What made those numbers valuable is they had no pattern, they had no design, no symmetry, no repetition. That's why it was useful for the scientific purposes they were intended. I think they would, have been, they would be shocked in unbelief if I told them that within 40 years, our society is going to insist that any design in nature came from randomness. When they see a leaf or a flower or an animal or any kind of complex system, to deny that it's designed, that it came from randomness, would be to any thinking scientists back then the epitome of idiocy, foolishness, absurdity. And yet we live in just such a situation. To argue about evolution and creation, that's old stuff. We've all been there. 
but for the schools to make it unlawful to teach intelligent design in nature, as we might say it, is astonishing. We have a culture that is committed to the denial of the existence of truth. And of course, Proverbs says, Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace to the lowly, and so forth. Okay, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinners, nor sitteth in the sea of the scornful. Where is his then? Where is he, th that man? His delight is where? In the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate once a week, right? Twice a week? Day and night. Day and night. Chewing the cud. Medi the term meditate actually pictures a cow chewing her cud. Meditation is to the soul what digestion is to the body. I'm one of these type A kind of guys. One of the many places in my life I need to raise the bar, and there are many. I need to spend more time pausing, not racing from one appointment to the other or squeezing, oh, I got 15 minutes, I can knock off that particular paragraph I need for draft X. No, 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 time out, time out. Find some time to do what? Stop, meditate, be silent before the Lord. Absolutely. There is joy in the Word of God, and that is so declared all through the Word of God. Jeremiah 15, verse 16, precious, precious passage from Jeremiah. He says, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. I love that. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. The more you get into the Word of God, the more fun it becomes, the more joy it is. If, there seems to, if it seems to be oppressive, it seems to be boring, it seems, then there's something wrong. Because it's the, it is, really, the Word of God. Ezekiel 3.3, 3, He said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat, and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat it, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. Ezekiel's terms. Very similar to the ones that John said in Revelation. Revelation chapter 10, verse 9. John writing, he says, I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it, eat, take it, eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. Revelation 10, 9. Well, Psalmist continues, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Man, what a promise that is. But this tree business, it's interesting to study. Sometime you feel in the mood, take tree and study through the scripture how often it's used metaphorically of a leader, of Nebuchadnezzar in certain places and so forth. She'll be like a tree. What, what, imply, what do you think of it as a tree? It has roots, and it bears fruits because of it fruit because of its roots. And bringeth forth is his fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Jeremiah picks up this kind of an idea in Jeremiah 17. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful or cautious. In the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. 
Psalm 92 picks, we'll pick this up when we get there. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. See, these idioms obviously using his metaphors. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. And in John 7, the Lord himself draws upon these idioms. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. What's he talking about? What's he talking about? The Spirit of God. But this he spake, he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. He'll be glorified, the Holy Spirit will come. He had to leave in order for the Holy Spirit to come. Very strange thing he explains in John 14 and following. Getting back to the psalmist. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, but bringeth forth his fruit in a season, and his leaf shall also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly, we just changed subjects, didn't we? The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Colorful idiom. Let's explore it a little bit. The chaff. The ungodly are always compared to chaff. What are the characteristics of chaff? They have no roots. Chaff has no roots. Doesn't need any. They are blown with the wind. Do you see someone being blown from one fad to another in the wind? That's because they have no roots. And they, of course, are useless to the plans of God. If you're adrift in the wind, you're useless to the plans of God. I'm reminded of a proverb in the Naval Academy. To him who has no course plotted, no wind is favorable. Doesn't that describe many of us? The chaff are neither beautiful nor fruitful. Chaff is not attractive. And it's not good for much except fuel for a fire. God is a harvester visiting the thrashing floor and separating the grain from the chaff. And there are many examples of that. Matthew 3, Psalm 35, Job 21, and of course, the book of Ruth, chapter 3 of Ruth. Really climaxes that in a way. Matthew 3.10, Now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Ooh, that's kind of a painful metaphor. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into his garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This was John the Baptist preaching at the Jordan. Baptism of repentance. Psalm 35, 5 says, let them, as chaff before the, let them be as chaff before the wind, and let the angel of the Lord chase them. Job 21, they are as stubble before the wind and as the chaff which the storm carries away. This idiom, of course, I could select many more. All through the scripture is used very consistently. Which, that which is excess, that which is... And the key to this whole thing are the roots. Christians, when Christians cease to bear fruit, it's because something has happened to their roots. Mark 11, Luke 13, dealing with that. 
Mark 11. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came and if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For the time of figs was not yet. Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw that the fig tree dried up from the roots. And we could spend a whole evening on that parable alone, but, or that event alone, but you get the flavor of it. Luke 13, he spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering unto him said, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. I am so glad we have a God of the second chance. Okay, what kind of fruit are we supposed to be bearing? Supposed to bear fruit, that's a nice little comfortable idiom. What kind of fruit are we to bear? Romans 1, 6, Galatians 5, Hebrews 13, Colossians 1. Take a look at Romans 1. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oft times I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. The word let there is one of those ten words in the Old English you need to learn to get comfortable with King James. It means, in the old sense, it meant hindered or prevented. Romans 6, Now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There again, speaking of the fruits of the roots. But the fruit of the Spirit, this is the classic list in Galatians 5. Many of you have probably committed it to memory. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Hebrews 13, by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Do you realize you bear fruit every time you praise his name? He inhabits the praises of Israel, we understand from the scripture. The fruit of our lips. That's one of those rare times that our lips are serving his purpose. I won't even offer an estimate of what percent in my life is doing that. Certainly not enough. Colossians 1.10, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Okay, finishing up the Psalm 1, therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. That means there is going to be a final exam. There is going to be a final judgment. The ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Is there really going to be a future judgment? Absolutely. Verse 5 confirms this right here. For the believer in Christ, there is no judgment of sin. John 5, Romans 8. Check it out. Very important. Promises. For the unbeliever... 
There is a fearful looking for judgment. Hebrews 10, Revelation 20, most of that chapter. When the books are opened, these individuals will be flung to their knees in confession of sin and the truth of God's word and God's son. And the classic passage for that is Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. Mark 7, excuse me, Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23 is another classic passage. These ungodly people will never be allowed to enter the heavenly congregation of the righteous, even though on earth they might have been members of religious groups of various kinds. So the whole psalm deals with two people, two men in two ways with two different destinies. 1 Corinthians 15 contrasts this in another way. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. As in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, Afterward, they that are Christ's at his coming. So you are either in Adam or in Christ. Let's hope that you are in Christ. Which one do you want to follow? Which path in this psalm do you want to follow? And having said that, how do you go about it? Well, let me give you one verse to finalize, and then we'll move to the next thing. Joshua 1.8 probably hangs in many of your homes. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein once every week. Right? No, no. Thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. That sort of says it all, doesn't it? Then thou shalt meditate therein. That's the call. As you go through each psalm, as we move along in the psalms, let's try to resist the temptation to make progress, and let's slow down and try to digest each one as we go. Okay. Surprisingly, Psalm 1 is followed by Psalm 2. And I think we can squeeze in two tonight, in spite of all the introductory material. One of the most blessings, blessed things in the psalms for me is that Christ is virtually in every one of them. Some of them quite directly, some quite conspicuously, some very subtly, some very profoundly. Christ is in the Psalms. Jesus said, the volume of the book is written of me. He said that in Psalm 40. In fact, on the Emmaus Road, you may recall that his first act after his resurrection, he joined these two guys on a seven-mile walk, and he started with Moses and the Psalms. He went through the whole scripture. That, and it's interesting, they all apparently knew it well enough that he could do it without carrying a bunch of scrolls with him. You know what I mean? It wasn't like he took a book, you know. Psalm 22 reads as if it was dictated by Christ as he hung on the cross. Astonishing piece of writing. Psalm 22. Psalm 23, the Good Shepherd Psalm. If you haven't heard any other psalm, you can almost quote that one, I'm sure. Psalm 40, the sacrifice of Christ. Psalm 110 details his high priestly uh, role in a, in a definitive way. And then the, the stone that the builders rejected, Psalm 118. And then Psalm 2, the coming king. That leads us to the one. Let's take that one. It's the next psalm for us to take a look at. 
It's first that we encounter of the Messianic Psalms. The book of Psalms is quoted in the New Testament more than any other book from the Old Testament. Christ quotes mostly from Deuteronomy than any other book. But the New Testament itself quotes from the Psalms more than any other book in the Bible. And uh, the book of Psalms, this hymnal of Israel, constitutes irrefutable testimony to the divine inspiration of the Scriptures because it has so much prophecy, it will startle you how much of the prophetic record is incorporated in the Psalms. And we're going to go through those as we go, the, the so-called messianic Psalms, where very, it's very conspicuous. We'll discover that his person, he, that he's the Son of God in, 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 uh, all through there, the Son of Man, that he's the Son of David. All these things are emphasized in the Psalms. His offices as prophet, as priest, and as king are detailed in the Psalms. That he would speak in parables is described. That he will calm a storm. That he will be despised. That he will be rejected. That he will be mocked. Are all in the Psalms. That he will be whipped. He'll be derided. He'll be impaled on a cross. And therein he'll be thirsty. He'll be given wine mixed with gall. He'll, they'll cast lots for his garments. Not a bone of his will be broken, which is a requirement of the Passover in the first place. He would rise from the dead. He would ascend to heaven. He would sit at the right hand of God. He is the high priest in heaven. He'll judge the nations. He'll reign to be eternal. His reign to be eternal. And uh, all kinds of profiles. As the son of God, the son of David, people sing Hosanna to him. He's blessed forever. Will come to glory in his last days and so on. His kingdom will be the focus of three specific psalms the coming of the kingdom in Psalm 46 through the tribulation, the range of the kingdom to all the earth in Psalm 47, and it'll be the center. The center of the kingdom will be Zion. Psalm 46, 47, 48 are a trilogy of psalms focusing on his kingdom. Okay, with that warm up, let's jump into Psalm 2, find out what we find there. It's going to talk about cosmic war. First encounter of him in the Psalms is as a warrior, in effect. Let's just read it through first. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Close quote. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Wow, quite a psalm. Okay, let's take a look at it. You're going to discover there's four voices here. We'll call it the voice of the nations in the first three verses, the voice of the Father in the next three verses, the voice of the Son in the next three verses, and then the voice of the Holy Spirit 
in the last three verses. And I encourage you to do this at home yourself. Check it out. Don't take my word for it. Let's take a look at the first three verses, the voice of the nations. What does that voice say? Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against whom? Against the Lord and against his anointed. That word anointed is the Mashiach, the Messiah. In, in Greek, it's the Christ. Saying, what are these guys all saying to themselves? Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. When did all this begin? It's interesting that uh, in Acts chapter 4, verse 24, And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? So it's echoing back this very thing. The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ, for of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, and the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. So it's the world that's taking action collectively, increasingly against Christ. We need to understand that. Having grown up from a Christian heritage and a Christian history in this country, we tend to take too much for granted. The world is anti-Christ. The UN is very vigorously anti-Israel and anti-Christ. The European Union is virulently against Christ. And in the last analysis, the U.S. will be also. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast, their, cast away their corns, cords from us. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Psalms. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. Or you can call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Music